Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We have the Hall of Fame inductions, which took place over the weekend, and that meant there were some amazing moments. Some amazing moments and some really great lines, and then some stuff from Peyton Manning. Stuff like this joke he cracked about Ray Lewis. The 2021 induction class wants to thank those previous inductees who gave long-winded acceptance speeches, forcing us to have a whopping six minutes to recap our football careers. I want to give a special thanks to my old rival, Ray Lewis, for being here tonight. Ray just finished giving his speech that he started in 2018. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Roasted! Bam! Have some, Raymond. Yeah, there was that. And then there was this gem from Tom Brady. And speaking of rivals, my good friend Tom Brady is here tonight. By the time he is inducted... By the time Tom Brady is inducted in his first year of eligibility in the year 2035, he'll only have time to post his acceptance speech on his Instagram account. Damn, Alvin, can I get a straight fire? Man, I honestly, I'm not sure what's worse. The joke, or the fact that people reacted to the joke like it was Dave Chappelle, Jerry Seinfeld, and George Carlin all rolled into one. Don't get it twisted. Peyton Manning is legitimately one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Manning wasn't even an embarrassment as SNL host. But let's not get crazy and act like this guy's some sort of comedic genius. He's the Peyton Manning of quarterbacks, but the Rex Grossman of comedians. Stop acting like this guy's the funniest guy you've ever seen. He's not. The Hall of Fame inductions also signifies something else, right? The fact that football is right around the corner. In fact, it's already pretty much started. And pretty much this is the first Monday recap of the season. During the season, if you know anything about the show and you know anything about me, we recap every single Monday. So, the season hasn't really officially started, but again, it has. So, why don't we start with a Monday recap? Why don't we start with Josh Allen getting paid? And I do mean paid. Paid. With a capital P. He and the Bills agreed to an extension worth a reported 258 mil over six years, reportedly with a 150 mil guaranteed. And honestly, I love that. I love that for everybody involved. The Bills have been searching for that franchise quarterback ever since Jim Kelly retired. Now they have him. And when you have him, you lock him the hell up and you do not let him get away. Great deal. Great deal for him. Great deal for the team. Great deal for the Bills Mafia. Great deal for everybody. And if ever there was a reason to slam somebody through a table, it's that contract extension. So there's that. Also, we had the Hall of Fame game last week. On Saturday night, the Jets held their annual green and white practice before 20,000 fans at their stadium. That meant the Jets fans were finally going to get a look at their new franchise quarterback, Zach Wilson. Let's just say that the reviews were, quote, not great. Not good. Now, that's not my review of Zach Wilson. That is Zach Wilson's review of Zach Wilson. He was the quarterback for seven possessions— 
He led the offense to a single first down in the first four possessions. He threw a total of two interceptions and led the team to three points over those four possessions. So what I'm saying is, in other words, same old Jets, right? And that's not what I'm saying. In fact, if that's the angle that you're taking, keep on moving because these are not the same old Jets. And there's absolutely no way that I'm going to come in here and condemn a rookie quarterback after a shaky outing in his first showing in the stadium. I mean, that would be absurd. Completely tripping and panicking and overreacting and looking to call this guy a bust after seven possessions is idiotic. It's asinine. And yes, I'm sure that everybody would have wanted to see better results from him, but I'm not going to crush this guy because he missed Jamison Crowder on a seam route on a Saturday night. And if you're looking to say that Zach Wilson is the next Broadway Browning Nagel just because his best stretch was a 13-play drive that led to a field goal, you're begging. You have not seen enough to declare him to be a bust, so don't bring that crap around here. I mean, far be it from me, a guy, to be in California to have to point that out, but obviously I need to point that out. Oh, and by the way, the team didn't do him any favors by taking as long as it did to get his deal done. It's not like those types of deals are slotted or anything. And as long as we're on the topic of quarterbacks and their performances. Let me digress and ask you something. Man, how good is it to have me back? Just thought I'd ask the question. Not, Not how good is it to be back, but how good is it to have me back? I mean, you gotta admit, I have not been giving myself enough credit lately. Oh, and by the way, it's great to be back. It is great to be back. Yeah, Rome, I bet it is. You had two weeks off. Must be nice. Oh, it is. It is, and it was, and I'm back. And it's great to have me back, isn't it? And yes, it's great to be back. So, continuing on this topic of quarterbacks, you've got Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson is also back with the Ravens after testing positive for COVID in late July. Keep in mind, that was his second bout with COVID. He tested positive and he missed a game last season, right? So last year when Jackson returned from COVID, he said that he lost his sense of taste or smell for an extended period of time and that, quote, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It's not good to have, end quote. All right, so that's a bad deal. That's a scary deal. That's an NFL player, tough as they come, saying that he would not wish that on anybody, right? Yet, according to reports, he is not among the Ravens who were fully vaccinated when they reported to camp. And then he got it again. And John Harbaugh said, quote, Jackson got hit pretty hard with the symptoms, end of quote. All right, so what do you do with that? As an example, I know that Lamar Jackson is not the only player who's not getting vaccinated. I understand that it's a complex situation for some people for some reasons. But this is not just about him, right? At a certain point, for all of these guys who were not getting vaccinated, what are you gaining by holding out and avoiding the vaccine? Like, here's what I don't understand. And again, it is a personal choice. But here's what I'm having trouble getting my head wrapped around. This is a sport where guys are risking injury and permanent damage 
every time they step on the field. It's a sport where guys will play through almost any possible injury and do anything they can to get back on the field as quickly as possible and help the team. So how is not getting the vaccine helping your team? Why are guys willing to do anything and everything to get back on the field as quickly as they can, but they're not willing to get vaccinated? Especially if you're a quarterback and all eyes are on you and pretty much everything starts with you and you touch the ball in every single play. And that's the one thing that I'm trying to understand, but I can't quite get my head wrapped around. Then again, if you're playing in the AFC North, it may not matter at all. Like I know it's early August and I'm not quite ready to make my official declarations yet. But if you're playing for the Ravens or the Steelers or the Bengals, you're probably gripping. And if you're not gripping, you should be. Because there is a noise coming from Ohio, and that noise is scary. And I'm not just talking about Baker Mayfield reacting to Josh Allen's new contract. Baker was asked about that. Baker said exactly the right thing. Quote, I'm not worried, check that, I am worried about winning. I think the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, it's a good for the quarterback position overall. I would be lying if I said otherwise. I am worried about winning right now. I do not know the timeline on it. We have not talked about it because I'm worried about winning this season. End quote. He's talking about his contract. He does not have a new deal yet. So if you hear that and you're a fan of the Browns, you've got to be fired up about that, right? Hell, if you hear that and you're a fan of life, you should be fired up about that. Because when the Browns are good, and they're really good, that's good for the league, and it's good for life. But here's the scary part for everyone else in the league. Check out this note from the NFL Network's Aditi Kinkabala. Quote, For years, there was a marked difference when I covered a Steelers practice or Ravens practice versus a Browns practice. Marked, as in significant. That difference doesn't exist anymore. End of quote. All right, there you go. There you have it. There it is. The difference is gone. When she was asked about that, what does she mean by that? She expanded by saying, quote, Since I keep getting questions about this, the tone, tenor, tempo, intensity, focus, professionalism, camaraderie, and basic level of talent was one thing in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. It was an altogether different thing in Cleveland. I no longer see the difference. End of quote. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. Not surprising. I mean, I've been saying this for years, but pretty powerful stuff. She asked Baker about that yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Does it feel to you that the tenor, the pace, the tone of practice yeah, it's it's a little different than when I first got here. Y'all say, a little bit. Then again, I've been saying that for years. But this is what happens when you finally do go to the postseason and you punch your divisional rival in the face on the road. So this is no longer a case of the Browns having to deal with the Steelers and the Ravens. This is now a case of the Steelers and the Ravens having to deal with the Browns. And so does everybody else. And yes, even the Chiefs. And if you don't want to take it from me or from the folks who are covering that camp on the ground, check out what Jarvis Landry had to say about what Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are doing. Quote, 
A.B. and Coach Stefanski. Their strategy to me, since they have been together, it's calculated. Everything they say and do is calculated. End of quote. Hell yes, it is. It's definitely calculated. It's impressive. And it's scary if you're in that division. They are building a bully. So, there's a long way to go before the Super Bowl and a long way to go before I get into my Super Bowl locks. But if you're not on that Browns bandwagon now, it's already too late. And don't say that I didn't tell you so because I have been for years. And if you don't think that they're good, and I mean potentially Super Bowl good, either you don't know what the hell you're talking about or you're just here to hate or both. Again, nobody likes people who say, I told you so. But I did tell you so, and I told you so years ago. Apologies accepted, as always. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. Good to have you on. Appreciate it, too. So we've had the Hall of Fame game and the inductions. Training camp is underway. What's this time of year like for you, and what's it been like being back at camp and talking to people face-to-face once again? And thank goodness that we're able to actually be back at camp and at football practices in person, right? And still plenty of COVID protocols, as we all understand, uh, and realize, but I think that the PFWA, I think the NFL, the Players Union have all collaborated uh, as best that they can to protect what we understand is, is the investment in the players and the coaches and make sure that they are as healthy as possible. But also they realize what uh, purpose the media serves and how important it is for us to be out there and tell these players stories accurately uh, and, and with that sort of in-person color if you will. So right now I'm actually joining you here in, uh, in Southern California. I'm going to go see the Rams later on today and just very excited to, uh, to have some sense of normalcy back. Love it. Jonathan Jones joining us. I want to talk football with you, of course, but just to quickly follow up on COVID. I mean, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about players and vaccination. What is your sense as to how the league is feeling about the level of vaccinated players in the league right now? Are they happy with it or are they concerned? I think anything short of 100% is going to be a concern in terms of vaccination rates. But then also, as we've seen really in the last month, right, with with these breakthrough infections and the Delta variant, that even that, even if you have 100%, that that still doesn't ensure that nothing is going to be derailed or postponed or canceled. Uh, But I can say this just personally, I am surprised at the vaccination rates, how high the vaccine rates are in the NFL. And I think we're probably topping out right now, right at that 90 to 91 percent, you're going to have holdouts no matter what, whether it's mis or disinformation, whether they just don't want to get it, whether there are religious reasons, et cetera, et cetera, medical reasons. I think that where we're at right now in the NFL is about as high as we're going to get in the league. Uh, and, you know, I listen, we played the entire season last year, an entire postseason without any cancellations, and that was before the vaccine. 
I think that there is a lot of momentum. I don't know if we're going to have full stands in every single game throughout this entire season and postseason, but there should be a lot of optimism for playing these games mostly on time like we saw last season. Jonathan Jones, my guest. I don't want the entire conversation to be about that topic, but one more thing, and I think this is important. The league is not mandating the vaccine for players, but strongly incentivizing it. When it comes to behavior at the facility or planes or bye weeks, testing and the like, how different is life for players who are unvaccinated versus those who are vaccinated? Well, it's, it's extremely different for those who are unvaccinated because, yeah, you still have to wear the masks on the plane and you can't go into, you know, the cafeteria and sit around guys. And it's sort of like the grab and go. Right. And then you have the weight room and but and how you can't necessarily go into the weight room room with the guys. However, it also impacts the vaccinated players and coaches as well, because now they have to build a schedule around you or around those couple of guys who are unvaccinated and it sort of fragments a lot of things. And, you know, we heard from so many players last season about how uh, they wanted that camaraderie and missed it. And I think we're seeing guys, very visible guys like Tom Brady and and these Buccaneers who are able to finally congregate and and build that team chemistry that took them 11, 12 weeks into the regular season to finally get. We're seeing it. I saw the Carolina Panthers earlier today. All the vaccinated players are going to go enjoy uh, some time at Top Golf later on. And I know the NFLPA right now is pushing for daily testing, considering the breakthrough vaccines, or excuse me, the breakthrough infections. I don't think that that's really going to fly with either the league or the majority of the players, but especially those vaccine hesitant players who got the vaccine in large part because they were told that life would be different. And now you're telling them, hey, you still got to show up every day to get tested. I don't think that that's really going to fly, but that's what we're seeing from the PA right now. Jonathan Jones is joining us. All right, from a football standpoint, one of the great traditions this time of year is a good old-fashioned throwdown, a training camp fight. The Giants had themselves a fight on the first day of padded practice. If you were to give coaches a truth serum, what would they tell you about training camp fights? Like, do they like them, not like them, or is it something in between? I think that most coaches would sort of take the Dan Campbell approach where you, you do really get excited about getting right there at the precipice of a fight, but you don't want the all-out brawl. And, and you don't want guys acting stupid and throwing a punch at a helmeted player, for example. But to have that sort of passion, to have guys taking up for their teammates you know, in a joint practice or what we saw with the Giants, of course, guys fighting with one another, uh, but it was offense and defense. And, you know, what I loved about that brawl, I know a lot of folks didn't love seeing Daniel Jones there in the middle of all that and the red quarterback non-contact jersey and all that. But, you know, he's been this mild-mannered sort of Clark Kent, uh, you know, and if he has a Superman to him, we're still sort of waiting to see it. So maybe like Jimmy Olsen, right? And and what what we saw from Daniel Jones was, I'm going to get mixed up in that, and I'm not separate from my teammates. I'm not just the quarterback and the pretty boy over here. I'm one of you guys. And so if Logan Ryan and Evan Ingram want to get involved and everybody else is, why should I be off to the side? So I loved that. And what I didn't love was Joe Judge's reaction to it, where it was sort of a comical amount of obscenities. You know, uh, I I maybe four put a green in golf, and I'm going to say some things. This was that times ten. And it, was, and it kept happening for about 12 minutes. And then the, the, the laps and the push-ups and then the laps and push-ups again, it seemed very – people said college. It was more middle school or high school. And I – listen, if they win, then it's going to work and you can't say anything about it. 
But if they lose, if they start one and five again, and these things had happened throughout training camp, and you're treating these guys like they're 14 years old again, I don't think that ultimately that's going to last very long. 100%. Jonathan Jones is joining me for a few more moments. What about Deshaun Watson? He's at camp with the Texans right now. What is your sense as to how he and the team feel about that? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know how the Houston Texans feel about that. I'm not sure how they feel about many things. Uh, and I don't know that because I don't think the Houston Texans know. And it's, it's unfortunate. I look at David Culley, who, yeah, he didn't know uh, what, was, uh, what he was barreling toward with Deshaun Watson. He knew that Deshaun Watson didn't want to play there, but he didn't know all of these civil, uh, very serious allegations against Deshaun Watson, but now there are criminal complaints as well um, that could lead to a grand jury and, and a possible indictment. But he, other than that, you know, he knew that he was going to get into a very, very poor football situation. And they've overhauled this roster, and Rome wasn't built in a day. And if this is ever going to become Rome uh, with the Houston Texans in terms of football years, this is going to take three or four years. And, you know, I don't believe that Deshaun Watson is going to play for the Houston Texans again. And I've said that before these allegations came out in January because of how steadfast he was and not wanting to be with that organization. Does the math change for Deshaun and the Texans with these very serious allegations uh, hovering over him and, and the franchise, sure. Is he tradable? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd make a pretty decent argument he's untradable right now because the Houston Texans understand they have a quality quarterback uh, who I don't even want to say in the prime of his career because I think that his prime is going to last for another seven or eight years. I don't want to just truncate it down to four or so, but – is a team going to actually give you three first-round picks or anything equivalent to that, five first-round players for Deshaun Watson right now? Of course they aren't. And so if they're not going to do that and you're the Houston Texans, why do you give him up for, for pennies on the dollar? But then again, with these serious allegations uh, around him, how do you possibly put him on the field when he doesn't even want to be on the field for you? So if hindsight's twenty twenty. Anyone can say that, yeah, back in January, the Texans should have made a deal to any number of teams that wanted him, including the Carolina Panthers uh, and, you know, potentially the Miami Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, right? But hindsight is not that. They don't have the benefit of that. And now they're stuck in this situation that the league, everyone keeps saying commissioner's exemplar, the league is not bailing out the Texans just yet. No. Fair enough. We are talking to Jonathan Jones. Listen, one more thing regarding a quarterback before I let you go. The Colts added Carson Wentz, of course, in the offseason. Now he's hurt. What does that injury mean to them and also to the Eagles in terms of that first-round pick that they were looking to get in that deal? You know, when it came out that the, the Eagles got the second-round pick that could turn into a first if Carson Wentz played three-fourths of the season, well, what about the last couple of years of Carson Wentz's career would tell you that he's going to play? that much football uh, in a season. And listen, this guy has played through any number of injuries, pretty serious injuries that a lot of guys couldn't play through. So I'm not going to sit here and call him injury prone or soft or weak or anything like that. But unfortunately, he has the history with injuries. And people point back to that season where he was a near MVP before tearing up his knee. That was a long time ago. Todd Gurley was the offensive player of the year that same year. So if you think that he's going to return to MVP form, uh, you know, that, that's saying a lot. That's a long time ago. So you have a lot riding on the shoulders of a guy whose body has been breaking down on him, unfortunately, the last couple of years, who very clearly uh, had some, some issues between the ears during the season last year, who can't, has shown, doesn't really like 
uh, competition, legitimate competition there. And so that's the guy that you sent those draft picks to, that you took on the cap hit for, that your franchise is relying upon to keep you in this championship window. Fortunately enough for the Indianapolis Colts, they're in the AFC South, so they can compete. Uh, but if he is going to miss any sort of legitimate time, and I know they're, they're very optimistic that, hey, it could be five weeks. I don't know if it's going to be five weeks. I'm penciling Carson Wentz as a starter, let's say starting week three or week four, but I don't think he's making it at the season opener. I don't think that would be wise. And I don't know what the Colts do, but they, if they want to win football games, they should trade for a guy like Nick Foles. If they don't want to hurt Carson Wentz's psyche, then they should not trade for a guy like Nick Foles. Like this time of year, there is a tradition unlike any other. It's the tradition of football players in college and the NFL reporting to camp in the, quote, best shape of my life. I mean, how often do you hear that? Every single year. And then fans get all hyped about these reports. Like, everybody's more explosive than they've ever been. Everybody dropped a few pounds of fat, fat. and added a few billion pounds of muscle. In most cases, it's just not true. It's not. Except in one case. The case of one Lane Monty Kiffin. I said it last year. I'll say it again right now. Life is better when Lane is in the SEC. Because in the SEC, it just means more. And in this case, it means more Lane. More mics in his face. More incredible press conference moments. More of everything. Except for this year, there won't be more Lane. This year, there is less Lane, about 30 pounds less, and it's by design. And man, I love it, even if you hate it, because I know how you ghouls work. I've already seen how you've done me since I came back from vacation. You can't wait to see an athlete, a coach, a celebrity, anybody of any notoriety gain a single pound or two so you can jump on them and crush them. And by crush them, I mean wheel out the same tired shtick. Where do you just sit there and you run through a bunch of food-related terms to try to see if they fit with the celeb's name? You know, that's how Axel Rose becomes Fatsel Rolls, for example. So when Lane started to put on a few pounds last year, you were ready and you were waiting to do the same thing with Lane Kiffin. You were ready to move on from smoke weed, talk bleep like Lane Kiffin to smoke beef, talk bleep like Lane Kiffin. You were at your clone whiteboard working up things like gain Kiffin or grain Kiffin or low main Kiffin. And then you'd move on to the last name to see if you could find something like Lane Muffin or Lane Kitchen. And then once you got through all the food-related terms, then you move on to your list of fast food chains to see if there's any other ones that you can plug in, like Raising Cane's Kiffin. I've seen this so many times. That, that clone playbook. Man, I could read that thing in my sleep. 
I know what you're going to say before you say it. I just know. Except he's not going to allow you to do that because my man has ripped it all away from you because he dropped 30 in the offseason. He looks better than ever. And he did it for a very specific reason. Accountability. He said that after the team went 5-5 five and five last year, he wanted to make sure that everybody got locked in on discipline. He wanted to make sure that everybody was focused and making the right decisions. He didn't want to be a hypocrite. And he was pointing the finger at himself. Quote, that goes for all of us, starting with me. Here I am in postseason meetings back in January telling, me off, telling my offensive linemen and other guys they need to eat better, lose weight, get in better shape, and I look like a whale. End of quote. It's awesome stuff. I always wonder, see, this is the thing, and we talk about this as a team, my staff and I. I've always wondered about this. I've always wondered how it works when a coach is demanding that his guys have to eat better, lose weight, get in great shape, and then they seem that see they see the same coach and he's all blubbery. He's overweight. He's not making good choices. He's not making sacrifices. Exactly how does that work? I've never understood that. Do they really listen when they hear a guy say, push away from the training table when that same guy is like at the golden corral with his mouth under the chocolate faucet. I've never understood that. You know, Rit, you know what I'm saying? Like, or mm. rolling up, mm, golden corral, mm. Mm, liquid chocolate. Mm. 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 Can I get a big gulp of chocolate? Mm. Anyway, what I'm saying is like, how can the same head coach demand that his guys be fit when he's rolling up for thirds and fourths at the dessert cart. How can a head coach tell you to be accountable when he's not holding himself accountable? It's got to wear off at some point, right? The players have to start to tune him out, right? How do you get a buy-in when you're not practicing what you preach? So in the case of Lane Kiffin, he's not going to wait to find out. Quote, I saw a picture of me at the bowl game last year, and I told the players I look like an anaconda that had swallowed a deer, and the deer got stuck in its neck. It's an amazing line. Pretty incredible line. I've already said it multiple times, but welcome back, Lane Kiffin. Just when you think this guy can't get any better, he calls himself out for looking, quote, like an anaconda that swallowed a deer, and the deer got stuck in its neck. Man, I love that. There is no way that any of you ghouls can roast this guy any harder than he is roasting himself. And he wasn't done. In talking about photos of himself from the bowl game last year, he said there was a pic of him with his dad, Monty. And Lane did not like what he saw. Quote, my dad's 81 and still looks great. And then there I was. End quote. And he still wasn't done. Speaking of photos, there was this self-inflicted blast. Quote, got to keep it up. Because when I look at myself from last season, it was disgusting. End quote. Again, how do you not respect that? When was the last time you heard a major college football coach say he looked, quote, disgusting? Last season. I'll answer it for you. Never. It doesn't happen. This is why Lane is the best. Because there's absolutely no one like him. Hell yes, I'm on the lane train for this year. And to the question of whether or not the weight loss had an impact on his players, his quarterback, Matt 
Coral said, quote, we really saw his weight change. He dropped a lot of weight since January and as players and seeing him go through the process, it just makes us more disciplined and helps us buy into the values and principles of the organization, end quote. See, that's what I'm talking about. They do pay attention. It does matter what the coach tells them to do if the coach is not doing it himself. His quarterback just said it impacted all of us. It's infectious. It's consistent. And it's not just about the head coaches. The assistant coaches are getting in better shape too. So what I'm saying to you is you can retire your lane kitchen blast because nothing you say about him is going to be better than what he said about himself and because he dropped a ton of weight. He's telling his guys to buckle down and he's making it easier to buckle his pants. My man just replaced that gal, the Mississippi queen, as the greatest ambassador for Oxford. She was great. He is better, but it is close. My favorite thing about Ole Miss is the education that I received here. Psych. All right, she's still the best. But Lane's doing work, man. Carl Durrell. You never know. You know, sometimes it might be a falling out for the people that hired me about, you know, being here for as long as, as you know, the, the tenure. So that's, you know, it's like you said, Jim, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's tenuous, as you would say, you know, in terms of the coaching profession. But, you know, my intent is to be here and to help see this program back to where it was, you know, when I was here, you know, the previous years. You know, in the 90s, we had a lot of success. We had some, some really good moments of championship opportunities. And, you know, this place just hasn't felt that way in a while. So, you know, I, I, I have expressed with them about what my intent is. And, but we know that that's never etched in stone. And, and I, I think the best thing that, that I've tried to get these, to, to earn with my players is to get their respects. And, and that's what I'm, I'm continuously working on is to, to earn their respect so they can believe in the things that I'm saying. And certainly a buy-in, and it's very clear to me, Carl, when they show up the way they've shown up and they're in that kind of shape mentally and physically that they are buying in. I could ask you about any number of guys, but I want to ask you about a linebacker by the name of Robert Barnes. He's somebody who came in as a graduate transfer, and I want to ask you about his leadership because it seems like he already has kind of imposed his will, and I mean that in a very, very good way. What's it say that he can arrive as a graduate transfer, but he's already taking on and assuming a leadership role? I tell you what, he's been, you know, Robert has been fabulous since the day he arrived. And, you know, he's, he never really, he, he just kind of came into to this program and just started working. And he wanted to, in a way, earn the respect of the, of the players that, we, that, he were, that were now his new teammates. And so he didn't say much at the beginning. He just really showed it by his effort. You know, and and being on time and, you know, doing things the right way and, you know, leading in the run. And and then all of a sudden, you you fast forward to the present day, he's one of our, our key leaders in our program. And his approach was perfect. You know, he didn't come in with the with the attitude that I know it all and I came from this place and, you know, listen to me. You know, he wanted to to really earn the respect of his team and, and he did it the right way. And we're, we're really very fortunate, you know, with having him and a guy like Nate Lamb and Carson Wells and, you know, even Jack Lamb, who's a graduate transfer, too, from Notre Dame. So, you know, those those guys have really tied in some key, key leadership qualities, particularly on our defense. That's going to allow us to play, you know, a good, solid you know, fundamentally sound defense uh, this fall. We're talking to Colorado head football coach Carl Durrell. Now, Carl, as you get ready for the fall and the season, you're going to break in a new quarterback. Now, you, of course, played receiver back in the day, and you are a self-described hard-ass receiver coach, quote, end of quote. (laughs) So when you take a step back and you look at this position, how would you describe the kind of player and leader that you want a quarterback? 
You know, this that's is that's really key too. You know, and it's, there's I've been around a lot of really good quarterbacks, whether college or professional, that have had just really really good leadership qualities. And I think that's almost the the most important factor is to believe, get your teammates to believe in you and in what you're doing. And and I think the quarterbacks that we have in our program, particularly, you know, uh, Brandon Lewis and uh, and J T. Strout, both of those guys have great great leadership qualities and you know Brendan Lewis just kind of came arrived on the scene you know right after that bowl game where he came in and gave us some good flashes of of really some positive things about what his future would would be like he really rode that momentum of confidence from the bowl game through this offseason and again he started with working just training hard and you know being a good leader from a, just from a work ethic standpoint and quickly he emerged to being one of our top leaders offensively and the same thing with JT being a transfer that came in in January, you know, he didn't know anybody, so he just came and came in and just got to work. And and I think those are the things, those are the qualities I think young men kind of identify with when guys just come in and do that. You know, they've earned their respect of their of their peers. And so that's, you know, we've really changed that mentality of our team in terms of how hard you work and, you know, nothing's ever really given to you. You've earned everything that you that you work for. So it's kind of a blue collar mentality. And that's really starting to emerge within our program right now, which is helping. Carl Durrell is joining us. You know, in terms of change, Carl, before you go, you and I have talked in the past about your coaching journey and that you were in college, then primarily in the NFL, now back to college. You recently made the point, though, that one of the biggest changes in the college game has been social media. Can you lay it out for me? Like, where are the areas that you see social media impacting, and is it a positive impact or a negative impact? You know, I choose to say it's a positive impact. You know, you, and I say that specifically, I choose because, you know, you can, you can go either side of this. You know, all I know is that social media is here to stay. <laughs> right. And, and you can choose to be against it, which isn't going to be anything beneficial at all if you choose to be on that side of it. Or you can choose to embrace it and, and use it for everyone's benefit. And, and given this new NIL that you guys all know what's going on with college athletics, it's, it's a big bonus for these young, you know, these young student athletes, you know, getting an opportunity to, to put their, their earning power, you know, with some opportunities, you know, that, that come from that. And we, I'm in the process of helping to guide what that looks like. It's really nothing more than, than what the NFL players have been doing for years. And it's just now getting, being able to be effective in, at the college level. And I, I, I just think it's a really good thing. So it's something that I had to kind of quickly, you know, get acclimated with is, is social media because the last time I was in college, there was, that wasn't really a factor. But uh, I've embraced it, and, and I think it's been a really, really positive thing, you know, for, the, for young people. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that, and you answered that perfectly already about your reaction to it and how it's playing out. Let me finally ask you, social media obviously also plays an enormous role in recruiting. So what's the message you want recruits to know about the program and about where the program is headed? You know, those just those pillars, those facts about, you know, we're we're gonna do things in the right way. You know, we're gonna be a hard working, you know, blue collar style, great kids that that wanna excel in doing great things both on the field and off the field. And, you know, the off the field is really you know, very important now, you know, with NIL, you know, that's the things that you do off the field are, if it's a positive thing, shoot, that's going to be a more and more impactful for you for your NIL. 
so, you know, those things really go hand in hand. What do I preach in my culture of this program is to try to create and for us to build the best version of these student athletes. Well, now there's, there's something that is beneficial for them to understand and have that balance of being a great football player and also doing great in school and, and utilizing those resources that are going to help you in that 40-year plan. So, you know, those are the things that I stress, you know, day in and day out. And these players are really, you know, they've, they've bought into my message and I'm very thankful for it. Colorado coming off a 4-2 season. They open up against Northern Colorado on September 3rd. Their head coach is Carl Durrell entering his second season. He was the Pac-12 Coach of the Year last season. Carl, it goes without saying, I appreciate you very much. Great to have you back on the show, and I know we'll do it again soon. Absolutely, Jim. Anytime. Love being with you, so thank you. Justin in NoCal, you are the first call in two weeks. Justin, what's going on? How are you? Hey, what's up, Romy? How you doing? Good, dude. How about uh, you? Good, good, man. Hey, I was just calling to tell, uh, told your guy on the phone, uh, I go out to Florence, Wisconsin every year, northern Wisconsin. It's about 45 minutes from Eagle River. My wife tried to get me to go about seven, eight years ago, and I'm like, hey, man, why do I want to go there on vacation? I'm from northern California. Beautiful places to vacation around here. A lot of other places to go to the northern Wisconsin, right? Went up there. Man, Romy, I'm going to tell you, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. The people are awesome. Our family's awesome. Been going the last seven to eight years. We stay at a lake called Kay's Lake in uh, in Florence. And, you know, we just hang out by the lake. Um, kind of looks like your setup, I guess, on the on the, on the photos that you sent, that you show. But, um, man, I just want to say, man, we're out there. All we do is drink past Blue Ribbon, eat patsies, brats, and the weather changes like, it, like it's, you know, like it's no other when we're out there. It, it rained all day Saturday, our last day there, and it was beautiful all week. The weather it looks like it's going to, you know, just, just rain half the time, and then, and then it passes by, and then it's sunny for the next half of the day. Um, it's beautiful. I, I, I'd even consider living there if it wasn't for those crazy six months of the year, though, of that, uh, of that weather. But uh, anyways, Romy, uh, War Team Bacon on Wisconsin. War Team Bacon on Wisconsin. He, he just summarized my whole experience with Northern Wisconsin. He nailed it. Let's go to the dog. Yo, Paul's dog, what's up? Rolling Rome. Welcome back from Risco. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't help with the geese. The thunder was scary. But anyway, speaking about Risco, round about those little Rocky Bucks. That's a team of dogs. You have Giannis Schnauzer, Ratchet Akumbo, Droopy Holiday, Mark Lopez, Cujo Middleton, Rand Poodle J. Tucker. That's a team of dogs. Not a single cat among them. Dogs. Roar, the Bucks winning Bark to Bark Championships next year. Richard Dognesty clones. Rack me. I'm out. Do what that dog said. Rack him. He's right. Rack him. My man, that dog. S.A. Sports Honk seems to think that he makes the show better. Quote, Rome. You want to get into Lane Kiffin this hour? So do we. Sincerely, pies, cakes, cookies, ice cream, and donuts. Hashtag fat boy. You got it all backwards with that guy. I, I can't wait to get into that story. I love that story. Hey, Rome, we own you. Tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how my Signed, the Wisco Geese, as they dump on your yard after watching you fall on your ass. Aaron in Iowa. Man, they don't give a damn. 
I'm telling you, they're not afraid and they don't care. So here's the short version of what happened. So I've got, we have this sloping hill. And for the first year, we were still putting in the landscaping. So there was just dirt. There was no issue. They get nothing out of that. There's nothing for them to eat. Or maybe the dirt doesn't feel as good underneath their web feet. I don't know. Or they just don't feel like crapping in dirt. Whatever it was, our property was not in any way attractive to them last summer because the landscaping was not in. We put some sod down. All of a sudden now, I mean, it's the best place ever for geese. So they're coming up every single day. And in the beginning, they're just staying by the dock. They're staying down low. So they're taking dumps down in and around the dock. But as the week progressed, they get more and more brave. And they get more and more comfortable. And they're starting to work their way up the slope. And now there's crap halfway up it. And now there's crap all the way up to our patio. I mean, they're, they're this close to walking into the house and taking a dump in my bed. And it's really infuriating because I don't know what to do about it. Because everybody's telling me, get a gun. That'll handle it. And people are saying things like, you know what? They don't give a damn, but they're smart. And if there's a bad experience, they will not come around. So I don't know what to do. Like somewhere along the way, the best idea I've heard so far is you put up a wire. You put up a wire and they won't mess with that. Or I saw what people do, and it's kind of an eyesore, but it's effective. They get those spinning pinwheels that you break out for parties and they're colored, so they're bright. And that kind of is disruptive, apparently. They don't want to deal with that either. So uh, I have not figured out what to do except to say they do own me. And it's been a real problem. And I'm stepping around geese crap all day long. And a good friend of mine on the program. He is Greg Berhalter. Greg, it's great to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. How you doing? Great. And it's good to talk to you. So do me a favor, Greg, if you would, take me back over a week to the start of the extra time against Mexico in the Gold Cup final, 0-0. But knowing the mental and physical toughness that your team had, how good were you feeling in that moment? We felt great. Um, you know, we gathered momentum as the game was going on. Mexico had a really strong start to the game. And, and for us, it was just about, you know, understanding what finals look like, understanding the ebb and flow of a game and just hanging in there. But as the second half um, wore on, we got better and better. And when we moved into overtime, you know, I looked at the guys in the huddle and I saw their eyes, I saw their faces, and I knew that we were in a good spot. We were ready to compete and, and just wear them down. We're talking to Greg Berhalter, so you felt good in that moment. Let me ask you this. In the 117th minute, Miles Robinson elevates for a header. He scores. At that point, what kind of thoughts and emotions were running through you? I was actually relieved that we scored that late because I was comfortable with the fact that if they only had a couple minutes, we were going to pull it out. We were going to win. And, um, you know, the guys showed just a tremendous amount of resiliency throughout the whole tournament. And, you know, and for them – for the group to get the trophy um, and win in that fashion. It, it was really a really good achievement. We're talking to Greg Burhalter. You know, it's two straight finals where you guys have been absolutely huge in pressure-packed situations. You had that game winner in the 114th minute in June and then the 117th minute last weekend. What's it say about the culture that you have developed there? 
I think the guys are getting used to winning and getting and really understanding what these games look like. You know, that was the whole objective of this summer. We used two different groups for, for both tournaments. And we wanted to get expose these guys to what um, Concacaf competitive games look like. And when you're, you know, when you ha- when you go down and, and two minutes into the Nations League final, and you have to come back, and then you go down again and have to come back, and then you eventually win in overtime. It shows a lot how these guys can stay calm in pressure packed moments and handle any type of situation. We're talking to Greg Berhalter. He's the head coach of the U.S. Men's National Team. Greg, I got a sense of how you might answer this, but the fact is. Before this summer, it had been 14 years since the U.S. had defeated Mexico in a final, and now you've done it twice in a matter of weeks. How significant is that for the program? Well, I think it's a big step for this young player pool. You know, we have one of the youngest national teams in the world right now, and and for these guys to get used to, to winning, but also believing that they can do it is really important. You know, our next step now is was World Cup qualifying in the fall. And it's going to be, you know, there's 14 games in the World Cup qualifying. It's going to be 14 finals. And, you know, I think as a coaching staff, one thing that um, that we're pleased with is that these guys have been in this situation before and we're ready to go, ready to handle it. All right, see, so here's the thing, too, also, Greg. You and I, we talked after the win over Mexico in the Nations League final, yeah. and we talked about the importance of competing in a tournament and being the ones to hold the trophy at the end of it. Now you've got a whole new group of players who have that experience. How valuable is that to them as players and to the program overall? You know, when you think about probably 40, there's 40, 42 different players, 43 different players in these two tournaments, and all of them had a taste of winning. All of them knows knows what it's like now to go through a tournament and have to compete in these difficult games. All of them know what it feels like to lift the trophy, and that's significant. Um, you know, we've been beaten Mexico, I think, three times in, um, in our history in finals, and, and we've done it twice in the last month, and I think it's big for this group. It really is important, but you know, by no means is it the end. You know, we want to continue on and have a strong World Cup qualifying and eventually get to the World Cup. We're talking to Greg Berhalter. Speaking of which, Matt Turner won the Golden Glove as the goalkeeper of the tournament. As a head coach, you're always looking for competition and for guys to push their way up the depth chart. What did that tournament do for his role in the team going into the World Cup qualifiers? You know, there were a number of guys that, that really helped their, their chances of, um, of being part of this team full-time, and, and Matt Turner was certainly one of them. You know, he just he has very little international experience. Coming into the tournament, um, he's only played one game with the national team before. So to get these six games and to perform at the levels that he performed at, you know, says a lot about his development and, and how well he's been playing for New England Revolution. Um, Miles Robinson is another guy. Matthew Hoppy, another guy. Gin, Gianluca Buzio, only 19 years old, and he, and he got to play in a final and had a good tournament. So, you know, the, the, the whole player pool, you know, we're pleased with, and, and I think they did a great job. So one of the things that you talked about when you were hired was that the goal was not just to qualify for the World Cup, but it was to change how the world views American soccer. Two and a half years later, and after what you've done the last couple of months, how much has that changed? I think we're chipping away. You know, we, we are. We, we've made progress, and, and, you know, we look at it, you know, in the long-term um, view that it just takes every single training session, every single game to, to eventually do that. And in the short term, you know, throughout the tournament, we just wanted to keep getting better. 
and we know it's still a work in progress, and our, our job is to just continue to get better every time we're together. You know, Greg, I wonder about this. Like, you want, you want to get better. You want you guys to work hard and grind, but you want to make sure that there's still some fun. Like, you've got to sacrifice. You're asking them to make sacrifices, but you want to make sure you can somehow keep the thing fun as well. How important is it to keep it fun or have a fun atmosphere while at the same time make the kinds of demands that you make of your guys? Well, you know, that's just it. I think the two crucial elements to having a successful environment are being able to enjoy it and and making progress. And and we've been doing those two things. You know, we purposely plan a lot of activities in camp that the guys can enjoy themselves and spend time together. We know the games are really pressure-packed, so outside of the, off the field, we want to make sure they're they're enjoying their time together. So let me ask you this before you go. You played at a very high level. You've obviously coached at a very high level. You knew what you signed up for. You know that mm-hmm. when you are the national team coach, that the national team coach is going to take heat no matter what happens. I've got a pretty good idea also of how you'll answer this, but I'm going to ask anyway. When you're sitting there with two trophies against Mexico in the last two months, is there any part of you that wants to say, how do you like me now? How do you like all of us now? Yeah, you know, I mean, the f- first thing is that I'm just so happy for the players that, that they got to experience this. Um, you know, it was a lot of hard work. You know, we talked in June about the guys having such a long European season and coming together and grinding it out for another two weeks. And then this group, you know, was never been before together, or never been together before, and a lot of guys with no international experience. And for them to win the trophy in the Gold Cup is an amazing feeling. And, you know, the job, you know, I, I come to learn that this job is about winning. You know, it's, it's the people want to see America succeeding. And, you know, when we watch the Olympics, it's the same type of sentiment. So for us, it's just about, um, you know, putting ourselves in position to, to win games. And we want to qualify for the World Cup. But more importantly, when we get there, we want to do well at the World Cup and really make America proud. All right, so then finally, as you move ahead and you've put in this kind of time and the players have made these kind of sacrifices, it's been a really busy summer already. World Cup qualifying does begin in a few weeks against El Salvador. How do you go about approaching the time between now and then? So, you know, we took last week off, and and this week it's about, um, you know, scouting our opponents, getting a real good understanding of El Salvador, Canada, and Honduras. Um, you know, finalizing our player pool, watching them in their games, um, seeing who's in the best form, and then eventually picking a, you know, picking a squad of probably 26 to 28 players that, you know, we can start World Cup qualifying off in a good way and hopefully get, get some wins. So Greg, finally, personally, like this last win was such an enormous win. It took place on your birthday. I, I would imagine a pretty, pretty damn good birthday present. What's it been like for the family, for you to take this journey with your family, and how are they reacting to it? You know, they actually were in the stadium in, in, um, in Las Vegas, and um, you know, I told the team beforehand, all I want for my birthday is a, is a trophy. But you know they were they were really proud, and just to see see the group come together like that, and um, you know have my family there and, and watching. And by the way, that stadium's amazing. It's going to be an electric atmosphere for the NFL. But um, you know we we really enjoyed it, and um, you know we, we checked that box, and now we move on to qualifying and, and hope to get a good start. Oh, man, you are definitely keeping this all or taking this all in stride. I'm not surprised at all, but I'm very, very happy for your success. Not surprised, but very happy for it. He is the U.S. men's national team head coach, and they defeated Mexico last Sunday to win the Gold Cup, and there is still plenty ahead. Greg, congratulations. Great to have you back, and I know you and I will talk again soon. Thanks so much for it.
Thanks, Jim. Great catching up. Good night now!